Hello and welcome to JudgeCast. This is episode 242. I'm one of your hosts, Brian Prilliman. I am joined this evening, afternoon, morning drive to work by the one and only Brogan King. Hey, y'all. And ha- we... Happy post-Christmas. Yes. Happy post-holiday funk. I hope everyone manages to get back into their day-to-day lives after the, sinking the slog. in... Yes, yes. The grind. Sinking into holiday comfort and then having to pull yourself back out. (laughs) Coming coming back from, going back to work like the the day after, you know, like a week and a half was not easy. (laughs) Rough stuff. Uh, It was, uh, but now we're back and uh, we're ready to bring you the release notes from Theros Beyond Death. Theros Beyond Holiday Snacks. Yes. Bed, Theros, and beyond. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I I am really... This set is kind of... I don't know. Brian, what do you think of the feel of the set? I kind of I dig it. Like, the the general feel. Like, I, I loved Theros the first time around. And I think they've done kind of an interesting, like, underworld kind of vibe to a lot of things. And... I'm I'm pumped for it. Like I, I can't wait to play these cards. Uh, when we were making the show notes, though, I did kind of notice a an interesting trend. Which and, and Brogan, which trend Brogan is were, this? Ah, yeah, yes. Brogan, ah, you you and I were talking about it. We've talked about it a few times where it's like normally in like every set, there's like one or two cards you just look at and you're like, what this is, and you need to sit down and you need to spend a little bit of time and get your pen and paper and protractor and abacus out. <laughs> and in the card specific, there in the card specific notes list, there's twelve different bullet points, and you go, "Excuse me." Right, right. Uh, and that didn't happen this time. <laughs> However, <laughs> but this episode is going to be really, really long because like uh, a whole lot of cards they just had this little like. They just had this little tiny quirk to them where it's like, okay, we need to cover that. So, yeah, it's not that that any of these are particularly absurdly complicated. It's just that there's so many that have something. Just a little ooh. <laughs> yeah, so, and, and I, think, I think that's because they have a good amount of complexity like things like they've got uh the escape mechanic they've got devotion they've got sagas are back so they kind of got a lot of complexity there yes it's a lot of mechanics kind of jammed together and that was a little bit of my fear with the set was that it was just going to try to jam all the pieces of the original theros block together such that no individual mechanic or archetype was really given enough space but we'll see how it plays out. And uh, at least at the beginning when we we're talking about mechanics, there's one little additional treat that we are going to share with you, the listeners. <laughs> so apparently, many, many moons ago, we had another host uh, named CJ Schrader. Um, so when we opened up the release notes to record tonight, the first line of our release notes is a note from CJ that says, What is this? I still have access to these? Question mark. And then he proceeded to write... Like dad jokes, <laughs> some some good goofs in our in our notes. Right. So he didn't do this for all of them. He only there's only like four or five. But we're gonna read those two because you know for for those listeners who have been around for a long time, you, know, you get a little you get a little bit of CJ humor sprinkled in there. Some CJ flavor. Yes. So 
You want to you wanna get started on this, uh, yeah. this Mamma Jamma? Yeah, speaking of flavor, uh, Escape is very interesting from a flavor standpoint and is really our only new flavor addition beyond the original Theros. Mm-hmm. So uh, Escape is a, an ability, a static ability that functions when the card with Escape is in the graveyard. Um, it's sort of functioning as that card escaping from the underworld it's super neat like our girl elspeth um and it's a static ability that means you may cast this card from your graveyard by paying whatever the escape cost is rather than its mana cost uh this is an alternative alternative cost um and it but it does not change how your timing restrictions for when you can cast it from your graveyard so if it's a creature, you can't cast it with its escape cost from um, like at instant speed. Um, so f- an example of one of our new escape cards is Underworld Charger, which is just a spooky horse. Um, spooky? What is it? Is it a nightmare horse? It is a nightmare horse. That's right. Which is interesting to me in that nightmare like. It's nightmare is not a description of the kind of horse. It is a nightmare, and it's also a horse. So it's a, it's a well, nightmare is also a horse, right? Nightmare is also a horse, right? So it's a horse horse. I don't like this. What? <laughs> um. So underworld charger has uh, escape for four and black, and exile three other cards from your graveyard. Uh, and it escapes with two plus one plus one counters on it. And what that means, so something is considered to have escaped if the if that spell or the permanent that spell became, um, such as the Underworld Charger that ends up on the battlefield, um, if, if it was cast from the graveyard using the escape ability. <laughs> Brian has left a lovely note here um, that uh, escaped null and escaped shapeshifter are exempt. <laughs> right. So just because those cards have escape in their name does not mean they have escaped. Let's let's just pause for a second and let's go appreciate the artwork on Escape Shapeshifter. All right. Everyone listen to my very clicky keyboard. Yep. Clickety-click. Uh, Clickety-clack. There's no going back. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> that is a thing of beauty. It, it really is. It's like if... Odo from DS9 was like some sort of weird two-legged anteater. Oh, they're adorable. <laughs> I want one. <laughs> no, it's pretty it's pretty cute. Uh, right. but yeah, so es- escape when the card says it escapes in with 2 plus 1 plus 1 counters on it, that that has a meaning and it means you uh use you cast it with the escape ability. <laughs> Those two cards <laughs> have not escaped just because they have escape in their name. Um, <laughs> so if something escapes or has escaped, um, so for example, if this permanent escaped, it enters the battlefield with something, that's a replacement effect. Um, however, that replacement effect may also have triggered abilities linked to it. So for example, Farica's spawn, uh, is it Farica or Farika? I don't know. Uh, Farica's... Get your freak on. (laughs) No, absolutely not. Yes. Farica's spawn escapes with two plus one plus one counters on it. Then, when it enters the battlefield this way, 
each opponent sacrifices a non-Gorgon creature. So it escapes with the pl two plus one plus one counters on it as a replacement effect. And then there is also a triggered ability linked to that, that when it enters the battlefield that way, the, 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 the sacking happens. The sacking. The, the insacking, yes. Yes. Um, with our obligatory uh, things we have to mention in every release notes episode, to determine the total cost of a spell, start with the mana cost, or in this case, the alternative cost, add any increases and any reductions. Um, it's also relevant to note that even if you are casting it for the escape cost, the converted mana cost is still the same. Um, it does not change just because you are casting it for a different, for an alternative cost. So my friend Underworld Charger, even though I'm casting it for four black and exiling three other cards, it still has a CMC of three. Uh, when, and this, the, this surprises me. After your escape spell resolves or goes back to the battlefield um, or goes back to the graveyard after your permanent dies, you can just keep you can just keep playing it. It it resolves as normal. So if it's an instant or sorcery, it'll go back to your graveyard and you can cast it again. Uh, if anyone remembers retrace, um, that lets you play something by discarding a land. Yeah. Yeah. You can play it from your graveyard. Um, you put it on the stack right away when when you pay your costs and everything um but when you <laughs> when it resolves and goes back to the graveyard you can just do it again immediately cuz your your opponent doesn't have there's not priority in priority, between once right. it hits the bin again yeah or you, or you you get priority if it's if it's your turn you know you can cast it right 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 away again so there's not much of a window if someone's trying to get rid of it get rid of those cards and you're still exiling stuff, so there's there's a limit, but right, you're not just going to be able to to spam it because you're because things will end up exiled, and you're only going to mm -hmm. have so many cards to exile. But it's interesting to me that it does go, just go back to your graveyard. I figured something like flashback it would it would exile, but I don't know. It seems neat, has potential. Um, if there is, if you have a card that has escape and also somehow ends up with flashback. Um, such that you have multiple abilities that are going to let it cast it from let you cast the card from your graveyard. Um, you can choose one. So if my card has escape and flashback, and my flashback cost ends up being cheaper, you can cast it for its flashback cost. You don't have to so somehow pay both costs or something. You just choose one. Cool, cool. All right. And before we segue into devotion, we have our first CJ joke. <laughs> Which is, why did the tomato blush? Because it's all the salad dressing. Scandalous. Yeah. I, I thought about pausing for a second to like give you a chance to be like, I don't know. Why did the tomato blush? Tell realized, me, Brian. But you have the answer right there. So anyway, like being right there, we have devotion. Okay, devotion is a, is a <laughs> rule. <laughs> Awful at segueing. Got to also keep that up after all these years. Very good. Devotion is a rules term that counts the colored mana symbols uh, in the mana costs of of permanents you control. What the abilities do with this devotion is different. So it's just really it's a way of getting a number. <clears throat> and so an example is on Daybreak, uh, Chimera or Shimmera or. Frika, <laughs> whatever um, way you yeah whatever way you want to pronounce it 
Um, it's a 3-3 creature for 3 white-white that says this spell costs X less to cast where X is your devotion to white. Okay, flying. So that means it's going to, to ask what your devotion to white is, and then it's going to cost uh, less. And then we have uh, Gary's back, Grey Merchant of Asphodel. Such when Grey a Merchant good of card. A... What's that? It's such a good card. It is. When, uh, when Gary enters the battlefield, each opponent loses X life where X is your devotion to black. And then there's some other text that's kind of cool too, but we're, we're talking about devotion here. Um, so again, what these abilities do with devotion is different. Devotion is just a way of getting, getting a count. And what you do is you look in the, the upper right corner, uh, of the spells, uh, the, the permanents that are on the battlefield, count the colored mana symbols and go on. Now, one thing to remember is like copy effects can change, you know, normally you just kind of look at what's on the card and you just count. Okay. I got like five green mana symbols. But copy effects can make the card look like another card. Those mana symbols can change based on the copy. Also, so so if I have a clone that's copying a bear cub, bear cub, yes, exactly. Uh, it's that's that's green devotion right there. Sweet. Yes. However, colorless or generic mana symbols don't count towards devotion. Uh, mana symbols in text boxes don't count either. Okay, we're only looking at what's up in the the top corner of the spells. Hybrid so if I have sim- something with a with an activated ability for one in green, my mm-hmm. that that green mana symbol doesn't count. Does not count. Uh, however, hybrid mana symbols up in the corner can count. So if you have like a white green hybrid mana symbol, that counts as white or green, uh, but not white and green. Uh, if you're counting like the devotion to white, it gives you know it. it if you have something that cares about your devotion to white and green a white-green hybrid will not count as two. Yep. Um, monocolored hybrid mana symbols, so that's not on many cards, but it's like when you have, like, colorless two slash white or something, it's like on Reaper King and a few other a few other cards. Um, those those still count, uh, the hybrid part. Uh, Phyrexian mana symbols do count, and devotion to snow is not a thing. <laughs> Our show notes say, LOL, devotion to snow is not a thing. <laughs> it's not a thing. Even if you live up in, like, Michigan or something like that. Or Canada. Is that a personal jab? What? I said, was that a personal jab? Do you live in Michigan or Canada? I'm from Michigan. Well. But I don't live there. I guess I have no devotion to snow. We, no, not at all. Sweet. No, none. Especially especially a day after it snows, and then it just starts turning into that sludge. And then it's that bad slushy ice garbage. Yeah, there's no devotion, to, no devotion to snow. Zero. Uh, last thing is... If you, one of the things that's kind of easy to forget is if you cast an aura uh, on an opponent's creature, well, that might count towards your devotion, even though it's on their creature. That's still a permanent you control. So as you're staring at your battlefield counting your devotion, just remember that if you have something across across the battlefield, absolutely, it, it still counts. Absolutely. All right. What's up? What's next? <laughs> well... According to you, the gods. The gods. Uh, so we've got gods and demigods, which is neato. And we also have a very good CJ joke. <laughs> uh, so uh, two fish are in a tank. One turns to the other and says, you know how to drive this thing? See, it's funny because it plays on your expectations of the fish being in a fish tank and not like an Abrams M1. Like an- <laughs> Uh, speaking, speaking of tanks, if anyone, uh, wants to Google up, uh, Richmond Broad Street tank, uh, 
Richmond, uh, my, the town I live in, had a very good uh, story of somebody driving down one of our main roads with a tank uh, in the last couple of years. Cool story. Not quite as ridiculous as a fish in a tank, but still absurd. All right. Oh, wow, this was this was last year. Yep. <laughs> People made T-shirts. I find it I find it funny that we've reached the point where where a story of someone on Broad Street driving down a tank in the middle of a capital of a of a state is responded to with memes and t-shirts. Oh yeah, it was very meme-y. <laughs> All right. All right. What, so what we got about these gods. The gods. Um so the gods have an ability so that makes them sometimes a creature and sometimes not. Uh so our friend Heliod Suncrowned, uh, for example, says, as long as your devotion to white is less than five, Heliod isn't a creature, as well as some other abilities. Um, things to note about this ability, uh, because they will come up. They're also indestructible. The type-changing ability that will make your god not a creature will only function while that while your god is on the battlefield. Everywhere else, that card is a creature. So if, if it's in your graveyard and there's something that lets you return a creature from your graveyard to your hand, that card is a creature card. Um, as your gods are entering the battlefield, uh, your, de- your devotion to whatever color, so in this case white, will determine any replacement effects that affect that creature as it's entering the battlefield. So this is, these are considered before the god is on the battlefield. So let's say I'm casting Heliod and my devotion to white without him there is four i cast heliod and i have something that say, says creatures you control enter the battlefield tapped um as i'm casting heliod my devotion to white is four J- even though once he's there my devotion to white will be five as it's entering it still only sees the four. So my Heliod's going to enter the battlefield untapped, but then he is a creature. Yep. Pretty wacky stuff there. Yep. Because the rules kind of say, look at, you know, apply the replacement effects and look at, like, the, the thing as it would exist on the battlefield. And here's like, oh, well, there'd be a creature on the battlefield. It's like, yeah, yeah, but... But you're counting your devotion before he's right. he's there um, as that's entering. But... <laughs> Here, here's ready for that. So we just explained that, yeah, it's going to come in and it's not a creature, but then it is a creature because of replacement effects. So <laughs> if in the, in that same scenario, um, my devotion to white was five before I play him. And I also had something that says when a creature you control enters the battlefield, draw a card, um, or when a creature enters the battlefield under your control, draw a card, then because my devotion was five when he enters, he enters as a creature, and I draw my card. Yeah. Man. <laughs> so so the important lesson here is it's important to realize the difference between replacement effects and triggers. Mm-hmm. And, and yet, it will continue to get people until the end of time. Uh, but prepare to answer that question, because it will come up. Uh, additionally, uh, the, the additional abilities on your god cards will function regardless of whether or not it is a creature so heliod says whenever you gain life put a plus one plus one counter on target creature or enchantment you control um even when he is just an enchantment chilling on the battlefield not a creature that will 
that will still function. If your god is attacking or blocking and stops being a creature, you know, perhaps due to losing devotion, it will simply be removed from combat. Uh, it doesn't continue to deal damage. Because, like, it, just because I declared it as an attacker doesn't mean it can stay being an attacker um, once it is not a creature anymore. Uh, if a god loses all abilities, <laughs> if a god loses all abilities, its ability that causes it to stop being a creature still applies as appropriate. So what, what? Wait, what? It lost all of its abilities. So it's that ability that says, "Hey, if your devotion is less than five, it's not a creature." Well, because uh, layers-wise, uh, we're looking at type changes before we are removing the abilities. Stupid layers. <laughs> Stupid grumpy layers. Stupid grumpy layers. Yeah, I mean, it's it's got to work that way. But yeah, that's a that's a thing. It's not it's not necessarily intuitive if you are not familiar with how. The layers right. work in that order. So if if my if my Heliod loses all abilities, as we're going through the layers checking, we check type changing before we check that loss of abilities. So at the time by the time we get to losing all abilities, my my Heliod's already not a creature. Now you are required to play that REM song Losing My Religion if your god loses all abilities. Oh. Oh. Uh Re also relevant to gods, god packs were a thing. They were. Do we think that they're going to do something like god packs again? So I, I kind of put this in as a as a note uh, because when the last block of Theros, so the last time we went to Theros, it was three sets. Um, and the final set had randomly these god packs where you'd open it up and you got one, a foil version, I think I think it was a foil version, it might have just been a regular one, of each god. I also it, think it was foil. Right. And it threw things kind of like, for at a wrench, like if you were playing in a pre-release and got it, you were like, woohoo. But a week later, if you're playing in a draft and you open it up, and you get all the gods Ooh. in a pack, and you're just like, I gotta take one and pass Ship it? How about no? And what... What happened there is uh, Wizards kind of made a, not not really a ruling, but they just made a suggestion with, a, as Watsy is prone to do with a lot of weight to it, uh, but not of the legal sort, where they were, where they said, uh, we encourage TOs to just let them keep that pack and then replace it so as to not affect the draft. Uh, so that was what TOs were encouraged to do in case you, that happened. Now we don't have we don't have any sort of indication. Yeah, we we don't know if that's a thing. Right, but that's that's how it was handled last time. So you can you can encourage any tournament organizers you're working with who may not have context for this if it comes up that this is what happened last time and maybe this makes sense. Yeah. And and if it does happen, if it does happen again, one of the things you know, a TO might be upset because they they're having to give away another pack. But I'll tell you from a like a word of mouth buzz thing, nah, give them give them the you know replace the pack, and then really you know like hey, take a picture on social media, get that thing out there. I was at Joe's Card Shack and got this, and you can you can turn that into 
more than a pack's worth of marketing for your store. Oh, yeah. The the value of the story of, hey, we got this god pack is worth much more than the one replacing the one pack. Sure. Well, I mean, we don't actually know how much TOs pay because, you know, MSRP is not a thing anymore. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Just digs. All right. The next ability is Constellation. But first, <laughs> why can't zoo animals play magic? I don't know, Brian. There are too many cheetahs. But as we talk about a card that is neither an animal nor a cheetah. So uh, <laughs> this ability is Constellation. Okay. Constellation is an ability word, which means eh, it doesn't really have any rules meanings on its own. Um, but it's a word that tends to group things together. And what what Constellation really is, is whenever an enchantment enters the battlefield under your control, blank. Okay, so this is, it's basically enchantment fall. You know, it's it's landfall enchantment for enchantment. Enchantment fall. <laughs> yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, multiple enchantments triggering at the, uh, so the card that we have is Pious Wayfarer for one white. It's a one, two, Constellation. Whenever an enchantment enters the battlefield under your control, target creature gets plus one, plus one until end of turn. If multiple enchantments enter the battlefield at the same time, our Pious Wayfarer is going to trigger all over the place. Um, now here's an interesting thing. So to remember aura spells that have an illegal target when they go to resolve. So I'm casting my aura spell. I have to attach to the creature. I declare my target and that creature disappears. The aura doesn't pop onto the battlefield for just a second and then go to the graveyard. It just goes directly to the graveyard. So there's, never there's never get, a moment when it is there. You don't, you don't get your enchantment fall. Tragic. Tragic. Yes. All right. You get the next fun one. Oh, boy. All right. Well, next we have a whole saga. And by that I mean enchantments with the uh, subtype of saga. Um, and also CJ letting us know that, okay, that's this is the last one. I've got to go. Goodbye. So thanks, CJ. Yeah, have, a have a great show. Kisses. Heart, heart, heart. With three hearts. Yeah, we love you too, CJ. We love you four hearts. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. Uh, um, so sagas, sagas, uh, are, like I said, uh, it is a, a, an enchantment subtype that have a, has a set of rules intrinsic to, to sagas. So, um, what set did these come out with? Dominaria? Yeah. Dominaria. So relatively recently. When they came out in Dominaria, like they all had, all the sagas had three chapter abilities, but when you read the rules, it reads like some sort of math equation where it's like, you know, R, you know, curly brace, lowercase r, capital N, minus, you know, it, dash it effect. And... It's some, some programmy stuff. Right. It's a little bit, it's a little bit programmy. And the question would be like, well, why didn't they just say, I mean, there's three chapter abilities. So you just refer to chapter ability one, two, three. And then it becomes clear. Because they added some cards with more. We've got some, at least one card with four chapter abilities. There's two in the set. So we've got the first Eroan Games, which really all you need to know about this specific card is that it has four chapter abilities. And uh, they look a little funky. They've got little Roman numerals um, and things that are intrinsic to sagas. Uh, when a saga enters the battlefield, its controller puts a lore counter on it. Um, you also put a lore counter on it um, at the beginning of your pre-combat main phase. Uh, this is a turn-based action. 
And so it happens right after your draw step as you're moving into your first main phase and no one gets priority in that main phase before that ability will go on the stack. Um, you can respond to it once it's on the stack, but that will be the, f- that will happen before anyone gets priority. Right. Well, it's, it's the ability that triggers off of that's going to go. What, what's goes yeah. on the stack. You can't respond to the adding a lore counter, but you can respond to whatever triggered ability happens as a result of putting that lore counter there. Oh, sagas sound so much more complicated than they really are. Yeah. <laughs> so each of those little Roman numeral friends um, represents a chapter ability. And as I was just saying, a chapter ability is triggered when a lore counter is put on the saga and uh, causes the number of lore counters on the saga to become equal or greater than the ability's chapter number. <laughs> uh, basically. I'm correcting spelling on Brogan while she's trying to read the sentence. I made it. I made my way through. You did. You did. <laughs> um, they, the chapter abilities are put on the stack and you can respond to them, even though you cannot respond to the putting the lore counters on. Um, to prevent an astonishing amount of shenanigans, um, a chapter ability doesn't trigger if a lore counter is put on a saga that already had a number of lore counters greater than or equal to that number. So for example, Wolf. Yeah. yeah. Unpack that. So for example, um, if uh, the third lore counter is put on a saga, it will cause the third chapter ability to trigger, but is not going to also trigger one and two. Simple enough. Yeah. You got when you when you say that in like rulesies, you you got to use a lot of words that kind of cause you to go cross-eyed and yep. gloss over. Yep. Um, once you've triggered that trap chapter ability, um, the ability that is on the stack is not going to change. If the saga gains or loses counters before that resolves, or if it leaves the battlefield. So, uh, let's say my first Eroan Games is going from, I'm putting the third lore counter on it, um, and then while the, that ability is on the, while that trigger is on the stack, I remove a lore counter from it somehow. Uh, once that ability is on the stack, you're not, it's the ability that's, it's not going to change. It's not going to look at itself and go, aha, I lied. I'm only on chapter two. Let me, let me do my chapter two ability. Or if my saga leaves the battlefield while that's on the stack, it's not going to say, I have no counters on me. Right. Oh, you get chapter zero. Yeah. Um, if multiple chapter abilities are triggering at the same time, the controller of the saga will put them on the stack in any order they can choose. Uh, and removing lore counters is not aren't will not cause an ability to trigger. So going from three to two is not going to cause two to trigger again. Whew. Um, <laughs> the uh, another piece that is preventing us from just having our our sagas just chill on the battlefield till the end of time. Uh, once the number of lore counters on a saga is greater than or equal to the highest chapter ability, the its controller sacrifices it as soon as the chapter ability has left the stack. Yeah, so this is this one's kind of weird. So if you've got four chapter ability, like just to kind of put this in plain English, 
so if you've got four chapter abilities like the first Iroan games, um, which kind of implies that there was a second Iroan games, but um, this is just I, the Olympics, right? Um, no, it's the Iroan games. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> so uh, I'm, I'm not going to question it. You tell me that's no, what it is. I'm not going <laughs> to. Well, I mean, what is this Olympics that you talk about? We're on Thera. And later I'm going to be gushing about something else. Yeah, it's the Olympics. Cool. But, so you go you go from three counters to four counters. Uh, now the uh, Iroan, Iroan Games is going to trigger the fourth chapter ability, and you're going to create a gold token. Now while that trigger is on the stack, Iroan Games is on the battlefield with four counters on it. The second that trigger leaves the stack, either resolves or is countered. For any reason. For any reason, the Iroan Games is going to go away. I'm not really sure why they didn't just make sacrificing it like part of the trigger. Oh yeah, I mean, but but I mean pro- probably because there was some like funny way that you could sh- you could uh, they want uh, to to thing. allow for the shenanigans of right. removing a counter while that is on the stack. Yeah, but this is a state based action, so it's just going to happen. Woo-hoo. Okay. Oh, we don't have any more CJ jokes. I know it's tragic. Yep. But uh, her- but what's not tragic You're gonna is power that through heroic it. cards are back. Sort of. Sort of. Sort of. Okay. So heroic was an ability word uh, from the first time that we were in Theros that basically meant, hey, whenever you cast a spell that targets this, something happens to this. And it was an ability word. Um, it's back in Theros Beyond Death, kind of. The ability word is gone. Uh, and... This effect, it still has the whenever you cast a spell that targets this, you get an effect. But now the effect affects... Now the effect affects... The effect affects, yes. Now the ability affects creatures you control. Okay. And that's just because it's written out on the card. That's not like anything intrinsic on this. This is more like a recurring like, hey, that's cute. They kind of brought Heroic back, but not exactly. Let's hear uh, It resolves this ability is going to trigger when you cast uh, uh when you cast a spell and it's going to resolve before the spell that caused it to trigger resolves and it's going to resolve this ability is going to resolve even if the spell is countered so i got like hero of the pride it's a 2-2 uh that says whenever you cast a spell that targets hero of the pride uh creatures you control get plus one plus zero until the end of turn when you just target it boom you're going to get it so that spell could be countered or resolve or whatever but you're going to get that trigger uh before the spell resolves or if it gets countered, and this is and this is inevitably going to come up with with the the order of the resolution between the spell and the the heroic trigger. Yeah, is yeah. somebody is going to go okay that your thing resolves? Oh ho, you you missed your trigger. Well, so this is this thing out of order sequencing is a thing, but here's 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 the other thing because these don't have targets, and I think most of them are invisible triggers. Most of them, yeah, yeah. You're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna have some fun, mm-hmm. uh, and and by fun, I mean you're gonna have some, que- you know, people are gonna ask some questions. So just remember what the 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 generic rules for determining whether or not a trigger was missed. They have to acknowledge it by the time it, you know, when it has a, a, a visible a, an effect, on the, effect. Battle, on the battlefield. Yeah. Now, one thing, uh, this ability doesn't trigger if you copy a spell that targets it. Okay, so if I if I target target hero of the pride with a spell, cool. Hero of the Pride is going to trigger, but then I make a copy of that spell. I, I didn't cast a spell. I just created a copy. Now, the other thing is, 
if the spell targets are changed to target it. So if I cast a spell on creature one and then we move its target somehow to hero of the pride, hero of the pride's ability is still not going to trigger. You're okay. not you're not casting the spell that target yeah, targets it. Yeah. Now that's that's different because there's some other cards that say like whenever this becomes the target of mm-hmm. a spell. In that particular case, you went from a state of not being a target to being a target, so this is going to trigger. But in this particular wording right here, it's whenever you cast a spell that targets. So it's only when you cast a spell. Con- conversely, if I cast a spell targeting hero of the pride and then I move it to I'm uh, somehow I'm able to change targets to another spell, I'm still going to get that trigger uh, from Hero of the Pride. Even though it does not end up targeting it. And I have said trigger and target so many times that those words have started to lose meaning. So That's... You're ready to... I'm having some agonizing remorse (laughs) over doing that. Uh, Yeah, we're going to move into some card-specific notes. Like we said, there are a lot of cards in this set that are a little bit complicated and worth mentioning. Um, But... Astoundingly few that are that are really truly mind crushing. So agonizing remorse is a sorcery for one in black that says target opponent reveals their hand. You choose a non-land card from it or a card from their graveyard. Exile that card. You lose one life. Uh, so important note with this wording: the non-land card restriction only applies to choosing a card from their hand. If you really, really want to pick one of the graveyard cards and exile that, you can choose that. Uh, or what a, a land in your in their graveyard, you can choose that because it says choose a non-land card from it or a card from their graveyard, not a non-land card from their graveyard. So you can choose something from their hand um, that isn't a land, but you can choose a land from the bin. Uh, also, you must choose a card if you are able to. Um, if they don't have any cards in their hand, you do have to choose a card in the graveyard. But if that's what you're doing, why did you cast it at all? Yeah, I mean, I guess I guess if you really, really, really need to get rid of a card in their graveyard, you know... Oh! Uh, for escape! There we go. Oh, so they, they don't have enough to pay for their escape costs or some such? Oh, just so you can get oh, rid of, so you can get you rid can of, get rid of the escape card, card. So you can't escape it anymore. Yeah. Yeah, the, the big thing is, if you can... If you can choose, like, you have to take a card. You can't choose to not take a card. Right. You have to, even if there's no cards in the hand, if they have cards in the bin, you got to pick one. All right. So, following the first Acroan Games, there was an Acroan War. Uh, the Acroan and Eroan are different. Oh, hey, look at that. <laughs> different places. Got me. All right. Out of that. Well, well, hold on. Uh, the the Acroan War was still after the Iro the first Iroan. I have no idea. Yeah, tell me a full timeline of of Theros. Just give me. Um, no. Legitimate. Like, like there was like a satyr god, and then Elspeth died, and now she's back, and hundred handed ones was in there somewhere. Yeah, everyone totally. Our our bonus incentive for all the money you want to give us is Brian drunk historying Theros. I would do that. <laughs> all right, make I, it. Happen. I would I would read up I would read up and do a drunk history of Theros for for dollars. Um. 
All right, but yeah. tell me more about this war while we're here right, as, a, know, as just, a taste. Just send me, send me, send me receipts proving that you donated to the Australian <laughs> wildfires. We'll see about making this happen. I love it. This is okay. going to open a bad can of worms. <laughs> yeah, timely. Okay, so the Acroan War for three and a red is a saga with three chapter abilities. Um, the first chapter ability says gain control of target creature for as long as the Acroan War remains on the battlefield. Okay, so if the Acroan War leaves the battlefield before the first ability resolves, so after it's put on the stack but before it resolves, you're not going to gain control of the creature at all. Just tough. The second chapter ability says, until your next turn, creatures your opponents control uh, attack each combat if able. All right. If there's a cost associated with having that creature attack, the player's not forced to pay that cost. Let's see here. Okay. The third ability is each tapped creature deals damage to itself equal to its power. So here's kind of a weird timing thing that's hardly ever going to be relevant but we're judges right we talk about weird timing things that'll hardly <laughs> that's ever what be we're relevant. here for right um so even though it's the third chapter ability um where we were talking about like the ability go the third chapter ability goes on the stack and the uh the saga isn't actually sacrificed until after that ability has left the stack you're still going to control the creature from chapter ability one while the Chapter ability three is resolving. If okay. that matters. If that matters. Which, you know, you you might want to find a way to get that creature tapped real quick so uh you don't have to give it back to your opponent if it's so it can kill itself. And then Oh, I can see oh. I can see how it would matter, like if that creature has No, I can't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like if it's got a tap ability, you want to get that done during the uh, <laughs> uh you want to you well, get on the that stack. while that ability is on the stack. Yeah. Okay. Now, if the creature you took with the Acroan War's first ability has an ability that triggers when you sacrifice the Acroan War. Okay. So it's like whenever you sacrifice an enchantment, do X. Okay. The question is, okay, well, when I sacrifice Acroan War, uh, I had control of the creature until Acroan War leaves the battlefield. So my, I'm going to give the creature back to my opponent. But what? What? who gets that trigger? Or what happens to it? If you have a creature that has an ability, or if you took one with the with the with the ability, blah. if you took a creature with a Crone War's first ability and it has an ability on it that triggers whenever you sacrifice an enchantment, um, when the third ability, third chapter ability of a Crone War leaves the stack and you have to sacrifice the Crone War, you're going to get that trigger. You the you person the person who stole the creature. Right, because it's a leaves the battlefield trigger, so we look back in time to right before the sacrifice happened. And right before the sacrifice happened, you controlled the Acroan War, so you controlled that creature. Now, <laughs> if the creature has an ability that triggers on a card being put, an enchantment being put into the graveyard from anywhere, that triggers after the event. It doesn't look back in time. So at that point, the creature's been given back to the opponent, and... Depending uh, on on how the trigger's worded, it might not trigger, or they might get it. Blah. Blech. Okay. So I don't... <laughs> okay, that's way too much time talking about the Acroan War, and we're only on the A's. We're going we're gonna to power through. Yeah, let's continue uh, with more A's. More A's. Allure more of the A's. Unknown, which has beautiful art. If you haven't looked at it, go look at it. It's really it's spooky and cool. Uh, it costs... It's a sorcery for a three black-red... And it says, reveal the top six cards of your library. 
an opponent exiles a non-land card from among them, then you put the rest into your hand. That opponent may cast the exiled card without paying its mana cost. This is a neato card. Um, if you reveal the top six cards and all six are lands, um, because it says an opponent exiles a non-land card from among them, uh, your opponent does not exile any of them, and you get all six lands. Yeah! Hooray! <laughs> get out of the way. That's six six turns of just drawn blanks. Woof. Yeah, who, who really wins here? Um, the, uh, when your opponent casts the, um, non-land card, uh, that they, that they exile, they, it is cast as a part of the resolution of Allure of the Unknown. Um, you can't then choose to cast it later, and it also ignores, uh, timing restrictions. So, if I get, if Brian's casting Allure of the Unknown... And there is some sweet creature that I want to cast. I have to cast it then if I can. Otherwise, I it it chills in exile. Um, the bit that says without paying its mana cost, uh, that is an alternative cost. I cannot pay any other alternative costs. And uh, you can pay additional costs or you must pay any additional costs that say, like, as an additional cost sacrifice a creature if you if it's if you have additional costs that must be paid you still must pay them uh as as with every release notes episode if the card that i am casting um from exile from allure of the unknown has x in its costs uh, i cannot choose to pay more for x that x will be zero as in the show notes obligatory x is zero Mm -hmm. (laughs) is the only comment there <sighs> All right, so the the next card is Annex or Anix. Annex. 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 Oh, there you go. Annex. Annex. Hardened in the forge. <laughs> Annex that you bring into yeah. battle. Yeah. And oh, look at that. He's got Annex mm-hmm. um, in the art. So for three red, red is a star three legendary enchantment creature demigod. Uh, complete with using the tiny font to fit all those words in. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, yep. Annex has two abilities. Uh, the first one says Annex power and, uh, is, sorry, Annex's power is equal to your devotion to red. Now, there's a bunch of demigods, and they all kind of have, they all have the same ability. So one thing I wanted to call out here is when you talk about the gods, and we were talking about counting devotion, that particular ability was an ability that only functioned on the battlefield. So if your devotion is less than five, you know, Heliod isn't a creature. So that's an ability that only functioned on the battlefield. This ability, however, because it's talking about a characteristic of the card, it's talking about power and toughness, uh, power, is a characteristic defining ability. And characteristic defining abilities function in all zones. So even while this card is in your library, it's looking over the battlefield and going like, what's your devotion to red? That's five. I got five power. Always cares. Always cares. Yes, so, um, now the second ability says whenever, well, this is going to be a lot of words, whenever an axe or another non-token creature you control dies, create a create a 1-1 red satyr creature token with, this creature can't block. If the creature has power 4 or greater, create two of those tokens instead. Now, um, so the first thing is, if an axe dies at the same time as another non-token critter, 
you're still going to get the token, okay? Uh, to determine if you get uh, one token or two, you're going to look at that creature right before it died. Like, not You're not going to look at it in the graveyard. You're going to look at it right before it died. And then here's a kind of wacky thing, because the trigger says whenever an axe or another non-token creature you control dies, if you're somehow able to get a token named an axe hardened in the forge, like if you're, it's going to, or rather, if you get a copy of an axe um, and it dies, it's going to trigger, even though it's a token, because the way the trigger is worded, it basically says whenever this or another non-token creature dies. Even so, if it would... Right. So this could actually be a token. Like, like if you're somehow able to get a token of an axe, uh, and it dies, you're going to get a token. Uh, you're going to get that 1-1 one, one red satyr creature, that sweet, sweet satyr. Okay. <laughs> these, like we said, none of these are super complicated. There's just some small weirdnesses. So um, you want to talk about Ashiok Horse Muse? I will. Ashiok okay. Nightmare Muse. Uh, we've had a lot of Ashioks lately. Um, but Ashiok Nightmare Muse. Legendary Planeswalker Ashiok. Uh, for three blue black. Has five starting loyalty. Uh, a plus one ability that says create a two, three blue and black nightmare creature token with whenever this creature attacks or blocks, each opponent exiles the top two cards of their library. Sweet. Uh, minus three, return target non-land permanent to its owner's hand. Then that player exiles a card from their hand. And minus seven, you may cast up to three face-up cards your opponents own from exile without paying their mana costs. All right. Uh, there's a lot of exiling going on here. Uh, things to know about that. Uh, it says, like, each opponent exiles the top two cards. Eat, that player exiles a card from their hand. These exiled cards are face-up unless whatever these effects or some other effect explicitly says otherwise um the for the second ability where you return a target non-land permanent to its owner's hand then that player exiles a card from their hand the permanent that was returned to the hand and the card that is exiled can be the same unless the card that was returned was a token because it, it, it because it's not a card right um you, for the um, minus seven ability that lets you cast up to three face-up cards your opponents own from exile, uh, you can cast any face-up exiled cards. It does not matter how they got there. So they could be from Ashiok's abilities. They could be some other exiled cards It can, as, as long as they are face-up, which most of their exiled cards are going to be face-up. Oh, yeah. And as we mentioned a little bit ago with Allure of the Unknown regarding paying the, um, casting the exiled card without paying its mana cost, uh, same, same restrictions apply. You cannot pay other alternative costs and you can pay additional costs. All right. So the next card we're going to talk about is Athrio Shroud. Oh, actually, Ashiok, the, the face kind of gets me. Like, the no face face the it's the no nose that really gets me yeah i i, I there's there's enough room there for part of a nose they they do a good job of making Mickey ashiok unsettling just a little disturbing to look at i think i think they're very cool i think ashiok is a very cool character it's kind of like one of those uh, that picture of like the three-pronged fork 
you know, when you look at it from one side and then you try and trace it back to the base and it doesn't quite. Oh, it line it up doesn't right. go. <laughs> yeah. Yes. That's 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 Ashiok. Ashiok's head. Well, okay. We've got some good audio uh, commentary going on here. Oh. No, I mean as far as we're talking about a thing that. Oh. We you can't see because we're in an, a, an audio medium. I think. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> It's like Maleficent horns just start at the cheeks, and there's no <laughs> everything's there's no face shifted in the down a little bit. Yeah. All right. So Athrio shroud veiled. It's four four white and a black for a four seven legendary enchantment creature god that's indestructible. And as long as your devotion to white and black is less than seven, Athrios isn't a creature. Whew. At the beginning of your end step, put a coin counter on another target creature. All right. So so far, no big deal. And like all our notes about this card revolve around the last ability that says whenever a creature with a coin counter on it dies or is put into exile, return that card to the battlefield under your control. Woof. Okay, this is going to be like where a, it gets cool. Yeah, this is like an EDH nightmare fuel right here. Um, no, okay. the, the nightmare was the last card. Yeah, that was also nightmare fuel. That was horse fuel. So, um, so if a token with a coin counter, so here's the same grace. If a token with a coin counter on it dies or is exiled, Atheris's last ability is going to trigger, but you're not going to get that token because it can't come back. If an effect flickers, uh, like flicker of fate, which is basically an, uh, a, a shorthand term for something that exiles a creature or permanent or whatever and puts it right back during the resolution of the spell. Okay, so it just it just basically is like a like a little reset button. Like, oh, you were gonna target it with a destruction spell. Well, I'm gonna flicker it, and now it's a new object. There's and there's so not a chance to right. respond in between it leaving and coming back. Right, and so like I said, like I just said, hey, it's a new object. So if an effect flickers a creature with a coin counter, uh, Atheris's last ability is gonna trigger, but not really do anything. Uh, same thing if the creature is put into graveyard or exile, and then before Athreos's trigger resolves, that creature changes zones. If Athreos and a creature with a coin counter are both put into the graveyard slash exiled at the same time, you're going to get the creature back uh, that had the coin counter on it. If Athreos leaves the battlefield somehow, it's in indestructible, so that's going to be a little tough. Eh, exile it. But the creatures are still going to keep their coin counters. They just don't do anything until another Athreos shows up. Or the same Athreos. You know, it's it's shroud-veiled, so you have no way of knowing if it's the same Athreos or not. <laughs> you can't really see its face under all that. Right, there's no face. Uh, the only way you can tell if, there's a, a, a diff is if it's a different Athreos is both you and your opponent both have an Athreos. In which case, there's going to be coin counters all over the place. And then, this this uh, it doesn't say put a coin counter on a creature you control. Okay, or any of this stuff. It's just creature all over the place. So if I have an Athreos, Brogan has an Athreos, CJ has an Athreos, and a creature with a coin counter on it dies, how do we figure out who who's gonna who's gonna win? The answer is we use Apnap order. So active player puts their trigger on the stack first, then we go around and turn order. Let's say Brogan is the last one. Uh, Brogan's trigger is going to resolve first. Trigger is going to be returned to the battlefield under her control, and then it's no longer in the graveyard or exiled for CJ or my uh, uh, Athreos to grab it. Ha ha! Pretty rough. Okay, we're almost out of the A's. <laughs> so many A's. Oof. All right, we've got 
Atris, Oracle of Half-Truths. I don't know. I don't have any context for who this is, but they seem cool. Um, It is a 3-2 legendary creature human advisor with menace. Uh, It says, when Atris, Oracle of Half-Truths, enters the battlefield, target opponent looks at the top three cards of your library and separates them into a face-down pile and a face-up pile. Put one pile into your hand and the other into your graveyard. I love this card. Yeah. Um, some some trickiness for how this all goes down with your with your seeing some cards and splitting them into piles and whatnot. Um, only one opponent gets to look at the top three cards of your library. The any any other players can't look, whether it's um, other opponents or teammates. Um, other players can't look, but they can they can certainly try to help um, give you advice and how to make the piles. That opponent that is looking at the cards can also lie about what cards they're looking at. Um, so if 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 that comes up, they are they are allowed to say those cards are whatever they want to say they are. So be careful. Um, they. Uh, if you choose to put the face down pile into your hand, uh, you do not have to reveal what cards were in that face down pile. They these cards can also be split into one pile of three and one pile of zero, and that that pile of three could be either the face down pile or the face up pile. So if 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 you want to get <laughs> tricksy with it. And play some weird mind games. You can put three cards in your hand and go, oh no, I, something, I don't know. Like, if you really didn't want those cards, if you really wanted those cards in your graveyard, you can, you can get punked. Okay, so if they, if they just put, like, a pile of three face, do they make a pile of zero and a pile of three face down? Yep. And then you pull them in your hand and you're like, oh, all these would have been better in my graveyard. Yeah, all of these cards are escape cards that I would have rather had in my graveyard. Aw, shucks. <laughs> yeah, falls in the category of things that are technically false. <laughs> right. Yeah. Probably not going to come up. All right. Bronze Hide Lion. It has a hide made of bronze. Call back oh. to our friend Fleece Mane Lion. Ooh. Uh, it is, uh, or, or it's, it's like a better watch wolf. So was Fleece Main Lion. Oh, yeah, true. For green green and a white, it's a 3-3 cat that has a, an ability. For green and a white, Bronze Hide Lion gains indestructible until end of turn. All right, cool. Uh, not super interesting there. Strong, but, you know, whatever. But it's in the show notes, so obviously there's more. Uh, when Bronze Hide Lion dies, return it to the battlefield. It's an aura, it's an aura enchantment... With enchant creature you control, and oh, well, it's like reverse bestow. And green white, and this ability, green white enchanted creature gains indestructible until end of turn, end quote, and loses all other abilities. So, bronze, bronze hide lion becomes a, a an aura that grants the indestructible ability to whatever it's chanting and loses its ability to become indestructible. Okay. So let's let's talk about this. So it's gonna return who whoever controlled Bronze Hide Lion when it dies controls the trigger. So if I steal Brogan's Bronze Hide Lion with, oh, say, a Crow in War, and How dare Bronze you. Hide Lion dies, 
What's that? I said, how dare you? Yeah. And I'm able to get rid, I'm able to, to kill it. It's going to come back under my control as an enchantment. Okay. Because I'm the one that controlled the trigger, even though it doesn't say return it to the battlefield under, you know, under its owner's control. Nope. This is whoever, whoever controlled it gets it. Um, you're going to choose a creature to enchant as it returns. Uh, this ignores things like shroud, but it can't ignore things like protection, like protection from green or protection from converted mana cost two. Uh, if there's nothing that it can legally enchant, like you don't have any creatures, it's just going to stay in the owner's graveyard. It's not going to pop onto the battlefield, see that it can't do anything, and pop back. If you've somehow made a token copy of Bronzehide Lion, and that token copy bites it, goes to the graveyard, it's not going to return. And if you make a non, if a if a non-token permanent is a copy of Bronzehide Lion, okay, so somehow you've got your bear cub out there, and you've made it a copy of Bronzehide Lion. Um, and then the bear cub lion dies, it's going to return from its owner's graveyard as an aura with the two abilities granted by Bronzehide Lion and none of the normal abilities. Mm -hmm. So, so, okay, now I've talked myself into loving this card because I can get a bear cub enchanting another of a bear cub. Ugh. That's amazing. Uh, and, and that and that bear cub is going to be an enchantment. It's not going to be a creature, but it's going to be enchantment with the ability, uh, with the with the with the aura ability, the enchant creature ability, and the pay one green and a white enchanted creature gains indestructible. That's great. That's wonderful. Best card in the set. You just this is officially your your favorite card no, in the whole really. set. Yep, because because that's too hard to make bear cub even cooler than it is. But uh, <laughs> but here we are. Yep, but what's 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 up next? Next, we got in the seas, Chainweb Arachnir, uh, which is a fancy spider. Um, <laughs> it fancy spider is uh one two for green. It's a creature. It's a spider with reach and says when Chainweb Arachnir enters the battlefield, it deals damage equal to its power to target creature with flying and opponent controls. It also has a escape for uh three green green exile four other cards from your graveyard and it escapes with three plus one plus one counters on it uh first and foremost good example of uh, why escape is really cool it's good to play early it's a one two for one with reach and upside and then you get a big spider later on that can fight flyers i'm not a fan that it's spider legs end in human hands Oh, I think it's super cool. I'm also I'm also not a fan of the weird human hands, but uh Okay. Good. It's cool looking. Uh the if uh Chainweb Arachnir leaves the battlefield before its uh trigger of when it enters the battlefield, it deals damage equal to its power to target creature with flying and opponent controls. If it leaves the battlefield before the trigger resolves, uh, you would use its power as it last existed on the battlefield to, to determine how much damage is dealt. Um, so yeah, it's, it, this card is is relatively straightforward, but I think it's just a very good example of how, and this isn't uncommon, how escape can be powerful even in like a draft environment. Uh, next card is Dawn Evangel. Uh, for two and a white, it's a two-three enchantment creature, human cleric. It says, whenever a creature dies, if an aura you controlled was attached to it, 
Return target creature card with converted mana cost two or less from your graveyard to your hand. Okay, so whenever a creature dies, if a return target creature card with converted mana cost two or less. So, okay, so, yeah, if the bear cub dies and the bear cub's enchanted, I can go get the bear cub back. Yep. Right? Okay. Um, So uh, it can trigger when an opponent's creature dies if you had an aura attached to it. Okay, because it's just if an aura that you controlled was attached to it. Uh, if Dawn Evangel is enchanted by an aura you control, uh, it'll trigger itself if it dies. But it can't return itself because it doesn't have a CMC 2 or less. Right. That's a little bit unfortunate there. Uh, if it dies at the same time as an enchanted creature, it's still going to, you know, you're still going to get that trigger there and get to look at the converted mana cost. And <laughs> for the purpose of determining a converted mana cost, X is zero. So, yeah, you could get back uh, anything with a, if the converted mana cost is two or less. So, so my friend Hydroid Crisis for X blue green, I can get it back. Yep. All right. So what's next? A very beautiful piece of art. Uh, Desti- this is a really good looking card. Yeah. Destiny Spinner. Um, for one end green, it is a two, three enchantment creature human. Uh, I did not realize this card cost two until right now. This card is very good. Um, uh, it says creature and enchantment spells you control can't be countered. It also has an activated ability for three and green that says target land you control becomes an XX elemental creature with trample and haste until end of turn where X is the number of enchantments you control. It's still a land. Okay, so Destiny Spinner, uh, is that because it says creature and enchantment spells you can you control can't be countered. Well, it itself is an enchantment and a creature. Can I counter it? Uh, the answer is yes, you can counter it. It can be countered because uh, it is a spell on the stack, so its uh, ability is not in effect while it is resolving. Um a counter spell can still target a creature or enchantment spell while Destiny Spinner is on the battlefield. Um, and it won't counter the spell, but any additional effects that may be on that counter spell card will still apply. So if I have a card that says counter target spell, draw a card, uh, the, the spell would not be countered, uh, but I could still draw the card. The, uh, Value of X for the activated ability for target land you control becomes an XX elemental creature with trample and haste, where X is the number of enchantments you control. Uh, that value, the value of X is determined as Destiny Spinner's ability is resolving. It's not going to change later if the number of enchantments you control changes. It's locked in at that time. However, if you activate Destiny Spinner more than once, and you can choose the same land... Um, you would look at the most recent timestamp to determine that X. So if I end up with more enchantments later on in my turn and I want to make my land bigger, I can do so. Uh, As a note, the activated ability to turn your lands into creatures um, does not untap the land. So don't target a land and that that is already tapped. Or, or you're like, and then, oh, I only got four lands. I'm gonna turn this land into a into a creature until end of turn and have nothing. To and do then it. not, and then just have it sit there. Yeah. Uh, if you don't have any enchantments 
when Destiny Spinner's ability resolves, uh, well, X is zero, so it will be a zero, zero, and barring any count- one plus one plus one counters that may be on it, or anything else to that effect, it will be a zero, zero, and will die. Uh, it's also worth noting that Destiny Spinner itself is an enchantment, so while Destiny Spinner is around, you'll usually have at least x equals one. <laughs> um, Brian, so, yeah, so I'm last, having trouble this, parsing this, this last note and why it's oh, relevant okay. here. So I cast I cast an aura, okay, and its target is removed uh, before the spell resolves. Oh, as far as the I'm, spell I'm putting, being countered, got it. Yeah, I was so, like, I understand what this is saying, but don't know why it's relevant to what. Yeah, is the is the aura considered countered? Because that's that's kind of weird. And so this is a, this is actually a templating change that they made a few years back. So it, cards like this used to say creatures and enchantment spells you can't uh, can't, uh, creatures and enchantment spells you control can't be countered by spells but, and abilities yeah. because game rules used to be able to counter things. Well, they can't anymore. So the the aura isn't really countered; it just is put into the graveyard. It fizzles. So yeah, in in a circumstance where I cast an aura there's no target or the the targets removed before my aura resolves it's not that my aura is being countered and destiny spinner isn't destiny spinner's ability is not going to affect anything with with that spell resolving all right and we have now the dryad of the need some need some pants <laughs> put, some, put some britches on uh dryad of the elysian grove is uh two and a green for an enchantment creature nymph uh, 2-4 that says you may play an additional land on each of your turns, and lands you control are every basic land type in addition to their other types. So this first ability, uh, you may play an additional land on each of your turns, is cumulative if you control more than one of these, okay, or other effects that let you play additional lands. So if you've got two Dryads of Elysian Groves, you can play three lands on your turn. Now, what this this doesn't come up super, super common with, with permanents, but there used to be like some weird rules like... If you played an additional land, then you had to say like which which, which land you play using. you were using. Right now, none of that. It's it's a lot simpler now. So if I have two two dryads of the Elysian Grove out, okay, I can play a total of three land per turn. It's changed, but the max number of lands I can change is bumped it up to three. Okay, if one of those, if I've played two land, I haven't played my third one yet, but I've played two, and then my opponent kills one of those dryads, so now I can play. You know, I can play a max of two land per turn. I've already played two per turn. No more. I'm cut off. Okay. Yeah. So. Even even if it's I I've I in my head I looked at it as I was using this dryad's ability to play this extra land. That's not actually how it works. You just right. get and that but that used to be the way it worked. You know, like five years ago. So you could bounce your oracle of Moldia or whatever, and then replay it, right. and and then say, oh well, now I've got an, I can play an additional land. And then bounce it again. Oh, well, now I can play an additional land because it's new, new object, new ability. Boop. Uh, but now it just sets a max. There's just you look at the max ceiling and say, "Have you met the max ceiling?" Um, then finally, uh, the last ability lands you control are every basic land type in addition to their other types. Each land you control is going to have the subtypes of plains, island, swamp, mountain, forest. They're going to have, uh, and then the appropriate mana abilities for those card types. Uh, they're still going to keep all their other abilities all their other types, but this isn't going to change super types. These, the, your, your random waste isn't going to become a, uh, or actually 
waste is a bad example. I was going to say, don't, uh, not waste. Yeah. yeah, I was just, as soon as I got there, I was like, wait a second. So your, your, you know, your uh, wasteland um, isn't going to suddenly become basic. Also relevant your, to. Your wasteland oh. is always basic, but your wasteland is not. Also, waste is not a basic type. So your lands are not going to become wastes in addition. You know what I mean? Yep. Right. It's it's not a basic waste is not a basic land type. It is a basic land. Right. Confused yet? <laughs> Hope you're paying attention and not listening to this on your drive while you're eating your McDonald's McGriddle or whatever. You know, I love it's a like, McGriddle wait, though. What did they just say? All right. So this next one, I kind of I kind of want to do this next <laughs> yes, one because it's not I'll I'll do the I'll do the two following. Okay, cool. Um so there's a lot of Elspeth cards in here. I didn't realize that Elspeth had black hair. You know, um, I also didn't. So Elspeth Undaunted Hero, Elspeth Sun's Nemesis, Elspeth Conquered Death, all got black hair. And I thought she had brown hair, and I went back and looked, and really the card that made me think that she had brown hair, it was really just a headband. Because she always wears a hoodie. No, I thought the same thing. I always thought she had kind of lighter hair. Right. And it's because it's uh, Elspeth Knight Errant. It shows her, and you think that she's just got like these really short bangs. And if you get really, really close and look at it, it's like, nope, it's a headband. Um, so, yeah. So, uh, uh, in the underworld, is apparently a little bit warm because you don't have your hoodie anymore. <laughs> That's really all I got to say about the Elspeth cards. Maybe is, she dyed her huh. hair while she was huh. while she had all that free time. Black hair. She's gone goth. <laughs> all right. Moving on to a couple of other quick notes. Um, there are some creatures in the set uh that let you cast spells for uh, a reduced mana cost so naiad of hidden coves says as long as it's not your turn spells you cast cost one less to cast um these cost reductions apply before you are before you have to pay costs because of how we cast spells um so you can sacrifice them for cards that have additional costs such as Final Flare that says, as an additional cost to cast this spell, sacrifice a creature or enchantment, uh, you can sack your Naiad of Hidden Coves to Final Flare and still get the reduced mana cost, which is sweet. Uh, additionally, uh, <laughs> because we needed our uh, obligatory intervening if clause, uh, we've got the card Furious Rise, uh, which is an enchantment that says, at the beginning of your end step, if you control a creature with power four or greater... Exile the top card of your library. You may pay, play that card until you exile another card with Furious Rise. So, uh, it's an intervening if clause, which means it checks before it would go on the stack and when it goes to resolve. So, at the beginning of your end step, this would only trigger if you have a creature with four or greater. And then it will check that trigger will go on the stack. And then it will check again when it goes to resolve if you still have a creature with power four or greater. The next card we got is uh, Hactos the Unscared. Uh, close. He's he's not. Scared. He's unscared. He's unscared. Yes, Hactos the uns Unscarred, but he he ain't scared. Hactos the Unscared is he ain't red, afraid red, of white, no ghosts or zombies. What's that? Oh no, absolutely not. Well, maybe if they're convert if they're uh, converted mana cost is two, three, or four. But yeah, uh, he's red, red, white, white. For a legendary creature, human warrior, 6-1. Okay. 
It says, Hactos the Unskirt uh, attacks each combat if able, because he's unskirt. Now, here's a weird ability. As Hactos enters the battlefield, choose two, three, or four at random. Now, those are the numbers. It's not asking you to actually choose two, three, or four things. It's just the number, two, three, or four. Hactos has protection from each converted mana cost other than the chosen number. So, uh, Hactos, if Hactos can't attack because... Hactos is tapped or pacified, then it doesn't attack. Same thing with if if there well if there's a cost to attack, this ability doesn't force the player to pay that cost. Uh, Hactos's protection covers everything except the chosen value. It's not just limited to the values that weren't chosen. So there have been questions like if I choose three, does it just gain protection from two and four? No, it gets protection from everything that isn't CMC three. Everything. Um, reminder. Uh, X is anywhere but on the stack, so all those hydras and stuff, you're going to ignore X there in determining what its CMC is. The number is determined randomly before uh, Hactos enters the battlefield, um, so that's this is this is a replacement effect, so we've decided that Hactos is resolving, and it comes on the battlefield as it's getting there, we choose three randomly. How do you determine randomly? <laughs> it's really kind of, you know, just... Whatever everyone can for... agree on. Right, roll your four-sided dice and ignore ones. Um, anything that's actually, you know, pseudo, pseudo, I say pseudo random because there's, you know, like, you know, random's not really a thing. I would, um, I would say D6 with like one and two, three and four, five and six. Uh, you could, you could do that, but then it's kind of weird because in that particular case, if you're rolling a four, it's actually a three. Yeah, but if you're rolling a, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, so it could um, get confusing. Sure. So, uh, just just you know, figure 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 it out. Figure it out. Uh, figure it out. <laughs> so, um, if somehow no choice was made for this ability, okay, so it entered the battlefield like with manifest, <laughs> so it was face down. Then it's not. It's its last ability isn't going to grant any any protection. Okay. So you can't kind of cheat, figure out a way to like cheat, cheat it out so it's got protection from everything. Now, quick refresher on what protection is. You can remember it with the acronym uh, DET, uh, which is um, it can't be damaged by sources with the with the protected quality with the quality that you're protected from. So you can't be damaged by it. You can't be enchanted or equipped by things with that quality. And quality being the converted mana cost or protection from red. The quality would be red. Uh, you can't be blocked. By creatures with that uh, quality, and you can't be targeted by spells or abilities with that quality, or uh, that come from sources with that quality. Mm-hmm. All right, all right, moving right along. Back to our friend Heliod Suncrowned. That hey, we'd hey, can you do the next two cards, please? Uh sure can, Ryan. Okay, thank you. <laughs> uh, Heliod Suncrowned. We talked about him a little bit earlier. He is one of the gods. Um, in addition to being a god and having all the characteristics we discussed earlier it also has a couple of abilities that say whenever you gain life put a plus one plus one counter on target creature or enchantment you control and an activated ability that it costs one and white that says another target creature gains life link until end of turn um so the trigger for life for gaining life is per instance of a life gain event, not per each individual life gain. 
So even if I gain five life at once through through one through something, I have a card that says you gain five life. I'm getting one plus one plus one counter, not five. Okay. Cool. Um, also related to that, uh, lifelink creatures, creatures with lifelink hitting an opponent and dealing damage. Um, that, that damage all ha- if I have three creatures with lifelink, they that damage all happens at once, and it's a a single chunk of damage, but there are three separate instances of of life gain for the purpose of our our bud Heliod here. Um, and that that's actually a little bit of a holdover from when lifelink was a triggered ability. Is that is that do you think where that remains from? Yeah. Yeah, I think it was because lifelink used to be a triggered ability yep. that said whenever you deal damage to an opponent, you gain that much life, or, or you get yeah, you gain um, you gain that much life. Mm-hmm. So it used to be it used to be a triggered ability. So each each lifelink creature dealt damage separately, or, or you know the trigger happened separately for each lifelink creature. And then when they changed it to being a static ability, they were like, eh, we kind of want to keep that original functionality around. So they changed the way the rules worked. As far as how the yeah. instances of life gain work? Yep. That makes sense. Um, last bit about Heliod. In Two-Headed Giant, um, your teammate gaining life is not going to cause Heliod to trigger because it says whenever you gain life and your teammate is not you. <laughs> Brian wanted me to do the next card as well. Uh, I really love this card. Uh, and he... Re- and he- <laughs> Sad just wants to hear me say the name of the card which i think is ichthyomorphosis yay uh, <laughs> and it's a gross floppy fish that <laughs> is similar to like a turn to frog yeah frogify, frogify. it is that that is the saddest looking fish yeah turns a enchan- it's an aura that turns your your creatures into a sad fish and it's got a good pun in the flavor text. <laughs> Tysis military career was a flop. Did a flop. Uh, yep. All right. Uh, do you want to do the next two, Brian? I want to do the next two. Cool. So really, I just want to talk about impending doom because when I was looking at these cards, I have zero rules text to say about this, but it's it's this card of this giant sword hanging over a, 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 a guy's head and it's being held up by like a rope that's being frayed and is down to like a single string. And I looked at that and I was like, this is the sword of Damocles. This is like, if you, if you, if you do stuff, uh, I think Kang the Conqueror in Marvel comics has a ship called Damocles. Uh, if you read like uh, the Jim Butcher, Harry Dresden books, there's the, the doom of Damocles. Well, anyway, sword of Damocles. I'm going to try and be like really, really brief. With this it's basically, <laughs> Go on. it's basically like, a parable that says like, Hey, someone who's like really, really powerful and stuff like that. And they, it seems like they've got everything going for them. Uh, uh, it, there's like this, this sword constantly hanging. They've got a lot of decision-making power and stuff like that. That can affect a lot of people. They've kind of got this sword hanging over their head by this, this tiny little string that could, uh, that could kill them at any second. So they really can't enjoy any of the, the, the riches that they have because they've always got this 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 threat hanging over their head because they've got they've got the power and I kind of was thinking that we kind of need to bring that back because I think we've lost that impending threat a little oh, bit. oh good 
Yeah, like imagine imagine how much things how much nicer things would be if uh you know a little bit more impending doom. Okay. That's all. <laughs> Great. Okay. Oh, speaking of impending doom, we have Krogsa, Titan of Death's Hunger. That's a spooky card. So, uh, so there's a cycle of cards like this, uh, but this one it's a it's it's a black and a red for a six six. Seems fun. Uh, seems good. It's Elder Giant that says uh, when Krogsa uh, when Krogsa enters the battlefield, sacrifice it unless it escaped. Okay. Um, cool. Uh, that ability right there it doesn't care whether or not you cast it. How, it doesn't care how it got on the battlefield. It just cared uh, th- whether or not it escaped or not. So reanimation, whatever. Nope. Did it, did it escape? No. Nope. Needs to escape. Okay. It's good. Sacrifice it. It's got a second ability. This is when, uh, whenever Kroxa enters the battlefield or attacks, each opponent discards a card. Then each opponent who didn't discard a non-land card this way loses three life. So that second ability is going to trigger right away. Um, it doesn't. It doesn't care whether or not you escaped it or reanimated or whatever, where the first ability cares about escaping this ability. Nope. Doesn't care. Just did it enter the battlefield. Cool. It gets the thing, uh, the ability. It's also got escape. Oh, sorry. Uh, on the second ability, an opponent's going to lose three life. If they discard a land card or they can't discard at all. Like if they can't discard or they discard a land, they're going to lose the three life. Now it's got escape for red, red, black, black exile, five other cards from your graveyard. Now, that's one so thing many that's, cards. What's that? That is so many cards, but I, I understand it is a why. Lot of cards. Yeah, I mean, you're not getting this thing out on turn two. Probably. But now, one thing is when you cast it, and the first ability happens whenever Croaks' ability uh, enters the battlefield, sacrifice it unless it escaped. When you sacrifice it, it's going to go into the graveyard. You get priority right away. And if you've got the four mana and the five other cards in your graveyard, you can escape it right away. And you're going to get the second instance of that ETB trigger. So, yeah. Value. All right. But you can so. also, you can also relevant, like you can just, you can escape this even if you didn't cast it the first time. Like if it somehow ends up in your graveyard because you discarded it or something. Right. Yeah. So, uh, so I mean, we could, we could go on and on about this card and all the cycles, but we don't want to bore you. Any. Be, uh, be a real Nessian bore, uh, which is the next card. Nessian bore is a 10-6. Uh, bo- creature boar. Um, all creatures able to block Nessian boar do so. And whenever Nessian boar becomes blocked by a creature, that creature's controller draws a card. Whew, is a big pig. Um, <laughs> so if a creature is required to block two or two or more different creatures, uh, its controller chooses. So let's say I have two Nessian boars. Whoa. Woof. Uh, and I attack Brian. Brian can choose which one of my Nessian boars he wants to block. Um, the second ability for, that says whenever Nessian boar becomes blocked by a creature, that creature's controller draws a card. Um, that will trigger for each creature that is blocking it. So if Brian blocks my Nessian Boar with three creatures, enjoy your three cards. Uh, additionally, that ability will resolve before combat damage. So if Brian blocks with his three creatures, he draws his three cards. He draws some super, super sweet combat trick. Save my three creatures. Value. Um, also, because this card is likely going to be blocked by multiple creatures at once... It's worth talking about how 
damage and blocking order work. So I attack with my Nessian Boar. Brian blocks with his three creatures. I then get... 1-1, one, one, a 2-2, two, two, and a 3-3. Three, three. A 1-1, one, one, a 2-2, two, two, and a 3-3? Three, three? Oh, yeah. I love it. I then, as the controller of Nessian Boar, get to choose which of those creatures I would like to deal damage to in what order. So I want to kill the 3-3 three, three first, so I'll put that first, then the 2-2, two, two, then the 1-1. One, one. Then uh, we... If, if one of those creatures leaves before combat damage is dealt the relative order still stays the same um yeah think of think of the way, the way i had it explained to me that really stuck was if you think of an old bruce lee movie is this really how you had this explained to you yeah great yeah um so in like the old old kung fu movies uh when the hero was fighting a group of bad guys the bad guys kind of tended to get in a line just line up yeah. They would line up, and then Bruce Lee would just kind of kick their butts in order. You got a cue. Right. It's very you, polite. You just make a cue. So you, the controller of Nessie and Boar, get to decide the the lineup, and then you get to just punch through. You got to punch through the first bad guy until you can, so you can punch to the second, but you can just keep doing that. And it's like a bad uh, uh, kung fu. Not that Bruce Lee kung fu movies are bad. They're actually quite excellent. Just can be a little hokey. All right. Uh, and here... We have Horse Shepherd. There's a lot of horses here. There is a ton of horses in this set. No, this card is Nightmare Shepherd. Two black black is a enchantment creature demon, 4-4 four, four flying. Uh, so far, so good. But we got a lot of notes on this card. Must be tied to the next ability that says, Whenever another non-token creature you control dies, you may exile it. If you do, create a token that's a copy of that creature, except it's 1-1 one, one and a nightmare in addition to its other types. So token copies of the creature... Uh, as it existed, are copies of the creature as it last existed on the battlefield before it died. Uh, tokens copy exactly what was printed on the original creature, excluding other copy effects. If there's other copy effects on top of it, uh, or uh, effects that change the copyable characteristics, like morph or something like that, it's going to look at those things. But in general, you're just going to look at like what the printed values are on the card. If the copy creature had X in its mana cost, X is considered to be zero. Any uh, enters the battlefield abilities of the copied creatures are going to trigger. Uh, same thing with as this enters the battlefield or this enters the battlefield with counters, you know, those type of replacement effects. Now, here's something that's a little bit weird. If the token is a copy of a creature that has a power and toughness CDA, then that token doesn't copy that ability. So, Like the demigods? Said, yeah, like the demigods. They had a characteristic divining ability that says their power is equal to your devotion to red. When you create this particular token, uh, because it's setting the power to 1-1, one, one, it's, it's actually the token's not going to copy that ability. That said, its power and toughness is, is, or its power is equal to your devotion to red. Like that ability is not copied; it's excluded from the uh, the token making ability, copy ability. And your creature's just going to be a one one. Deal with it. <laughs> just deal. Just deal. Sweet. Uh, all right. Next card, I actually truly adore. Yeah, this is a good one. Um, and I have a. It's, so the next card is Nyx Bloom Ancient. It's a five five element enchantment creature elemental with trample. That says, if you tap a permanent for mana, it produces three times as much of that mana instead. Woof. I have a friend who just started playing Magic, and he saw this card and got really excited, and everyone else around him was like, you don't even understand how good this card is. <laughs> um, because he was just thinking, ooh, like I get 
three times as much mana, like mana from my from my lands. It's like, oh no, it gets much spicier than that. <laughs> uh, so uh, tapping a permanent for mana uh, means you are activating a mana ability of a permanent that includes the little tappy symbol and its cost. <laughs> little tappy symbol. You know what I'm talking about. I do. Uh, um. Any uh, triggered mana abilities are not impacted by Nyx Bloom Agent because you're not tapping a permanent for that mana. Um, because of the way this is worded, it says if you tap a permanent for mana, it, produ- it produces three times as much of that mana instead. Uh, Nyx Bloom Ancient is not producing that mana. It's making that permanent that's making the mana produce more. <laughs> and extra fun... Um, if you have two Nyx Bloom Ancients, um, the, they, they, they multiply. So you'll get three, nine times the mana. Um, and you're going to continue multiplying that by three for all the Nyx Bloom Ancients you got. 27 times if you got three. Yeah. It's, it's multiplicative and not additive. Nice. Yeah. All right. So the next card, we've got one with the stars. Which is, you know, just makes you think of Dancing with the Stars. There's an altar for you. All right. All right. So for three and a blue, enchantment aura, enchant uh, the ability, enchant creature or enchantment, enchanted permanent is an enchantment and loses all its other card types. Okay. So this is, this is kind of a, a, a silly little card. So the enchanted permanent it's, it says en- enchant creature or enchantment, and then it says enchanted permanent is an enchantment. Well, I really wanted to make my enchantment an enchantment. Right. So the, the enchanted permanent keeps all of its abilities. Um, but if one of those abilities uses its power and toughness, that's going to be considered zero. Now, here's the really quirky part of it. This ability... Okay, so normally if I have a... Uh, a spell that says enchant creature and then it gives you know enchanted creature gets plus three plus three and let's say i animate a land it's now a creature i can put that enchantment on the creature and it's going to get the plus three plus three but at the end of the turn when the effect that made the land into a creature wears off the enchantment's going to fall off not so with this card okay if you animate a land so it's now a creature it's creature land and I put this on it because I can enchant creature or enchantment. Huh. <laughs> and then and then my land creature, enchanted permanent, is an enchantment and loses all of its other types. So my land creature stops being a land creature and starts being an enchantment, which satisfies the enchant creature or uh, enchant creature or enchant I've said enchantment so many times. I know it. Enchanted Welcome to Theros. Per- the, right. It's an enchantment. It, it's this this one with stars is an enchantment enchanting an enchantment. It stays on. It doesn't fall off. It likes it like satisfies its own condition for staying on. And because my land creature, it stops. You know the effect that makes it a creature. It stops. It would try to go back to being a land, but it can't because it doesn't have that type. So it doesn't have the ability to tap for mana anymore. Ah. Uh. <laughs> well, if it's if it's like yeah. Um. If it well if it's a um. If it's like a forest or something like that, all right? Because because I can't. There's no such thing as an enchantment subtype forest, right? So so if this is if this is done on a a basic land that somehow becomes a creature, ugh. <laughs> let's move on. Yep. Uh, all right. <laughs> 
all right, we're coming out of our cage. We're doing just fine. Just like Pelucranos Unchained. Please tell me you know what song I'm referencing, Brian. Uh, is it uh, uh, Unchained uh, or something by Soundgarden? Nope. All right. Uh, no, say say what? It's it's Mr. Brightside by The Killers. Mm. Um, oh, that song? Ew. <laughs> agree to disagree, Brian. That's a great song. Uh, send us an email if you think Brian's got a bad take about that wonderful song. All right. Polychronos Unchained, a legendary creature zombie hydra. And it's a zero zero. How is that possible? You may ask. Well, uh, Polychronos enters the battlefield with six plus one plus one counters on it. It escapes with 12 plus one plus one counters on it instead. Whew. Um, additionally, if damage would be dealt to Polychronos while it has a plus one plus one counter on it, Prevent that damage and remove that many plus one plus one counters from it. Um, also, an activated ability for one black green that says Polychronos fights another target creature. Also, it escapes for four black green and exiling six other cards from your graveyard. Okay. Nice. So, oh. this card is sweet. <laughs> well, it's less cool now that you've forever linked it to... To Mr. Brightside? Mr. Brightside. Oh, That's geez. a great song, Brian. No, I actually, I brought, brought up the lyrics to be like, is, is it what I think it is? And that's like, yeah, it's this song. And you don't like it's, it? It's worse than, uh, it, it was overplayed more than Californication by the Red Hot Chili Peppers like 15 years ago. This song is, is done. It's great. It, it, it's got all the forks stuck in it. I was at an age where I was, I was, you know, the target audience that, that made that song get played a hundred thousand times. You're welcome. All right. Polychronos. Um, so things to note, if it is dealt damage greater than the number of plus one, plus one counters on it, um, all of that damage is still prevented and all of the counters are removed. Uh, you're not going to somehow deal, like, spillover damage. Um, usually, this is going to lead to zero toughness, so it would die. Uh, but if you have some sort of enchantment that says your creatures get plus one, plus one, you might still have a one, one. Um, if damage that can't be prevented is dealt to Pelucranos, the damage is dealt and the counters are removed simultaneously. Um, and that happens before uh, the game will check for lethal damage. So um, cool. if I have a six plus one plus one counters on my Polychronos and I have something that says deal three damage, that damage can't be prevented. I deal my three damage, remove my three counters. Oh no, now I'm a three, three. With three damage on me, and I am sad. Wolf. Um, if the target creature for the fight ability is illegal when the ability tries to resolve, it won't resolve. And if Polychronos is no longer on the battlefield when that ability resolves, the t creature you targeted will not deal or be dealt any damage. So, you know, standard standard fight stuff. Eat. Yep. Would, would you right. like to rise nice to the occasion, nope. Brian? I will rise to glory. Nice. Forgetting Mr. Brightsides. <laughs> so, uh, for three white and a black, it's sorcery. Rise to glory is a sorcery that says choose one or both. Both is good. Both is good. Both is good. Return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. 
that's one that's one of the ones you can choose but you can also return target or a card from your graveyard to your battlefield uh so the first thing we're going to note is with modal cards if you choose if you have more than one modal option you are going to do them in sequential order so you're going to bring a creature back and then an aura which is cool if you didn't have any creatures uh because that gives the aura something to attach to um uh, if, yeah, that'd be uh, that'd be great. If, yeah, if it was the other way around, it's like where you have to bring an aura back and then a creature back. You're just like, oh man, you better hope. Yep. So for returning the aura, you're not casting it, so you kind of get to ignore all the the targeting restrictions for casting it. You just get to choose what it's gonna uh, the aura is gonna attach to. This does since this does let you bypass targeting. You can get things on. Uh, you can get auras on things with hexproof, uh, but not things with protection, uh, as we talked about earlier can't attach to anything it's gonna remain in its current zone bum, bum. Woohoo. uh speaking of attaching auras to things we've got storm herald um not like it's pretty sweet not like a person whose name is herald um oh herald <laughs> herald what are you doing here uh but it is a three two human shaman uh with haste that says when Storm Herald enters the battlefield, return any number of aura cards from your graveyard to the battlefield attached to creatures you control. Exile those auras at the beginning of your next end step. If those auras would leave the battlefield, exile them instead of putting them anywhere else. Things to note about your auras and what's happening with them. Um, the auras that you return with, with Storm Herald uh, can be attached to Storm Herald because it is on the battlefield. When, when, well, unless it has somehow left the battlefield, um, if, uh, an aura cannot be attached to a creature you control, you can't return it. So, uh, if you have an aura that says enchant target creature and opponent controls, uh, you can't return that because it is instructing you to attach it, them to creatures you control. Um... Only the auras that you return to the battlefield will end up exiled. Um, any that you choose to leave in the graveyard will stay there because it says um, exile those auras at the beginning of your next end step. The ones that you left in the bin are not those auras. Uh, if an effect exiles in an aura that was returned this way, um, that effect is the effect exiling it. Um, rather than the Storm Herald effect. So let's say uh, Brian casts something that exiles one of my auras. Um, All right. Now, rather than the Storm Herald ability saying exiles, exile those auras at the beginning of your next step, um, they if it comes back, it's not going to be affected by Storm Herald anymore. It's a it's a different thing. It's a new times new object. new object. Yep. All right, we're all home stretch. Two more cards. So close. Okay. Yeah, and they're okay. not. They're underworld, not. They're yeah, underworld breach. Um, uh, if you have multiple un multiple underworld breaches, they're underworld breaches. Oh, this okay. it's not underworld's breach. <laughs> underworld's breach. Nope. So for one and a red, it is in a. It is your wacky red enchantment for the set. Each non land card in your graveyard has a set mechanic. <laughs> yep. uh, set mechanic okay each non-land card in your graveyard has escape the escape cost is equal to the card's mana cost plus 
exile three other cards from your graveyard. At the beginning of your instep, sacrifice Underworld Breach. So this is kind of cool in the sense that you play, you play the enchantments. It's only going to stick around for um, a turn, or you know, the, till the end of, till the end of your turn. But it, it lets you say the okay. So the escape cost is equal to the card's mana cost plus exile three other cards. Uh, so yeah, you can you can you can do a lot with this. So if a card has no mana cost. So you then have an escape cost of no mana cost plus three cards. That doesn't mean you pay zero plus three cards. A, a, a non-existent cost. No, it's, it represents an unplayable cost. So an unplayable in magic math, an unplayable cost plus a playable cost is still an unpayable cost. And when we say no mana cost, we don't mean like a mana cost of zero. We literally mean cards yeah. with with no mana cost, right? Like ancestral vision is probably one of the that's a one common the, one, yeah. Common example: the card's got literally nothing in the top corner of the card, so that is an unpayable cost. So unpayable plus payable equals unpayable. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Okay. Now, if you're casting an adventure card or a split card with escape. Uh, the question is, okay, well, what's this, what's this escape cost? I got two mana costs on this thing. Well, you're gonna pick, you're gonna pick the the the, you know, you're gonna cast the left side of your split card, or you're gonna cast the adventure side of your adventure card, and there you go. That's the cost plus the three cards that you got to exile. Now, much like one of the cool things with this card, much like we were talking about escape, so this doesn't, unlike some other cards that let you um, cast out of your graveyard. Sometimes they cast out of the graveyard, but then they exile them. This doesn't exile. So you're going to cast a card. It's going to go right back into the graveyard, and it's got escape. And it will still have escape. Right. Which is which is kind of cool. Like, if they'd made this like a sorcery instead of an enchantment, then it would have been, it would have kind of like set the number of permanents. Like, new cards entering the graveyard wouldn't have had escape. So by making an enchantment with a static ability, you can cast out of your graveyard with escape it resolves goes to the graveyard you can cast it again with escape cast it again as as much as you've got i really hope that that was an intentional design decision i feel like it was because it feels like it kind of should be and it solves memory issues Mm -hmm. like Like, i suddenly don't have to times have i played this or or not even did did i put this in the graveyard before or after i cast underworld breach also it it yeah means that underworld breach isn't in the the graveyard either to to try and do shenanigans with oh yeah probably do. uh so yeah so uh so if you wanted to do shenanigans at that you're just in denial hey hey well i'm gonna be in whirlwind denial that the episode's about to be over uh because that's the next and final card uh no no and no i yeah whirlwind denial is one of those cards that when it was shown everyone's like "Ooh, this is a good card what's happening um it is uh, two and blue for an instant that says for each spell and ability your opponent's control, counter it unless its controller pays four. Uh, it's a good card with great flavor text. It says no, no, and no. So it knows what it's about. Uh, it can get confusing to determine exactly how you choose when, like who pays for what abilities when. Um so in multiplayer, that can get a little spicy. Uh, but the way that works is, as it resolves, the opponent, first the opponent whose turn it is, or the next opponent in turn order, if it is your turn, uh, will choose which spells or abilities they want to pay for. 
then pay that amount, however that, however much that may be, then each opponent will do that in turn order. So for God, it's me, Brian, Jess, and CJ in that order. It's my turn. Brian chooses what he wants to pay, pays that, then Jess goes, chooses what he wants to pay, probably doesn't pay, and then CJ will do the same. Uh, then all spells and abilities that weren't paid for are countered all at the same time. And that's it. That's, 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 what <laughs> that's we got. the set. That's... Yeah, no, I think this is a, a neat set. I am a little uh, afraid that they're trying to use too many mechanics, trying to do too many things in one set. Um, so I don't know if each mechanic or cool dynamic will get its chance to shine, but we will see. All right, Brian, you have anything else to say about the episode or the set? I do not. I have lots of things afterwards to say about Mr. Brightsides. I'm I'm ready. Uh, that, okay. that, that to the list of, of Patreon goals or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you to everyone for listening. I hope your pre-release and release events go smoothly. Uh, if you like the show, uh, like the show, uh, give us all the ratings that you want wherever you listen to your podcasts. Um, you can get a hold of us um, at judgecast at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash judgecast. On Twitter, uh, we are at judgecast on Twitter. And you can find all of our old episodes on our website at judgecast.com. That all being said... I'm Brogan King, and I keep it fun. I'm Brian Prillman, and I'm falling asleep, and she's taking a cab while he's having a smoke, and she's taking a drag. And now I'm going to bed. Bye.